and get to page 1054. Uh, we exist, we're here to help you love God, uh, love others, and reach the world. And we think one of the best ways to do that is by unpacking for you, teaching you uh, what God's holy scriptures say. So that's what we're about to do now. And I want to thank each and every one of you for uh, slugging through just what is just miserable weather uh, to be here today. Um, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you, right? This is just a terrible day outside, uh, but it's a good day to be in here with you, right? And so we're glad uh, that you're here. We're glad everybody who's joining us and just thankful for the opportunity that we get now uh, to, to, to dive into this letter once again and uh, invite the Lord to speak. And so I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer as we start and ask him to do just that. Father, we are so incredibly thankful uh, for the opportunity that we get uh, to, to gather uh, in person this morning. We're thankful for every person who's joining us online and, and, uh, and, and just the chance that we've already had to, to praise you and worship you today, God, because you are worthy of so much more than that. Um, and yet, Lord, uh, as we turn our attention to your word, we know that, that it, its power comes directly from being inspired by you. Its, it's authority comes from you, um, God. And so we pray that uh, your spirit would move uh, freely in this place, in our hearts and minds, that you would convict, that you would speak, that you would move, that you would encourage and teach. Um, and God, that you just shove me and the distractions of life out of the way and you get the glory uh, from all this. And we pray this all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Uh, well, there's a female author named Buff Spies, and she was uh, writing once about, uh, and she told the story about a, a chat she had at bedtime with her, uh, her, with her young son. And uh, uh, he was, she was putting him to bed, and he was looking out the window and saw the moon, and he said, Mama, is, is God in the moon? And she was like, wow, how do I, how do I answer this question, right? And so uh, she took the time to try to explain to this little boy that, that God is actually, yes, he's in the moon, but he's everywhere. That his presence can't be contained in one location, but, but he's actually everywhere, to which her son said, so God's everywhere? Does that mean he's in my tummy? And she thought, wow, I don't know. I still don't know where these questions are going, but sure, yeah. That, God is everywhere, so God would be in your tummy. And he said, well, then God wants a banana. So. Right, the nature and character and qualities of God have been discussed in search and inquired of by children and adults alike since the beginning of time. And if you're here, we're in, in, if you've been here, you know in 2021, we've been studying this letter, 1 Timothy, for the entire year. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul, who's one of the early church authorities to Timothy, his young uh, protege in the faith, after he's left him behind uh, to help shepherd a church. And, and, and throughout this letter, we, we've seen uh, instructions and teachings and all this stuff, but there's also been a strategy that maybe you picked up on that's somewhat interesting to me. Because there's multiple times in this letter where Paul will simply tell Timothy who God is. He'll, he'll break out on, on what God is like. He does it near the start in chapter 1, verse 17. Today, we're going to be looking at chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. He does it again. Right, and, and here's why that's, that's interesting to me. Timothy is not a child. Timothy is not an unbeliever. Timothy's not a new believer. He's not an apathetic believer, right? Paul has left Timothy. He's trusted the point where he's left him to be the lead pastor, lead elder of the church at Ephesus, a church that was in shambles and needed great leadership, right? Timothy knows exactly who God is. He is, he is sold out to him. He's pouring out his life in service to him. And so Paul's strategy in reminding Timothy who God is is a lot like us trying to remind a math professor that one plus one equals two. Right, it'd be like trying to teach the New England Patriots how to cheat. They're already pretty good at it, right? It's like telling IU basketball how to underachieve. They've been doing it for three decades, okay? Right? And so what Paul, when Paul is doing is he's repeating stuff that he's already covered. He's taking multiple sentences to say something that he could say in one. He sounds like a preacher, right? But let us for a moment just try to remember what Timothy was facing. 
his calling was high. Right? The burden of church leadership is heavy. The stakes were high. He was actively contending and fighting for truth in the church. He was pointing souls to Jesus. He had to fight his own sin, his own insecurities, his own weaknesses to do this. Within the church, he faced tremendous opposition from the false teachers he was trying to correct. Outside the church, he was facing tremendous opposition and persecution in Ephesus. If you want to know how bad Ephesus was at this, you can read what Paul's experience was like there in Acts. In addition to that, the people that he cared about, the people that he was shepherding, the people that he would, he would love on and serve, they would also struggle. They would also sin. They would also all get sick and die. And his own body would eventually fail him, and he would eventually die. And this was the journey he was on. And Paul understood all of this because he walked the same journey many years ahead of him. And so what Paul understood, what Paul knew, is that there are two foundational yet incredibly simple truths that if we remind ourselves, just remind ourselves of these two truths, we are spared so many unnecessary and so many self-inflicted wounds. And these truths are, number one, there is a God, and number two, I'm not him. Now, before you roll your eyes at the simplicity of this, any honest inspection of our lives shows us that we forget this. We don't forget it in a way that we'd get it wrong on a quiz if we were asked, but we forget them in much more subtle, harmful ways where we make decision after decision after decision without ever considering God's influence or the God factor. We question his sovereignty when something comes along our path that, that we don't like, that we wouldn't have chose. We posture ourselves and our thoughts and our feelings and our desires as if they have more authority than him and his revealed word. We get unbelievably content to live a life devoid of his input, input and influence, chasing the most uh, comfortable, best and most secure life here on this planet that we can we go minutes, hours, days, weeks, sometimes years without ever considering what he's up to, without ever considering what he's doing, without ever considering what he wants to accomplish in us and through us. And in every one of those ways, we are either acting like there is no God or putting ourselves in his role. Children and adults, pastors and atheists, believers and non all have this ability. We all do this. And so today we're going to take Paul's advice. We're going to read his writings. We're going to remind it again that there is a God and that we're not him. I'm going to invite Shelby McConaughey up to read today's passage to you. She's going to be reading 1 Timothy chapter 6. And for context's sake, she's going to start in verse 13 and read through verse 16. If you're physically capable, would you please stand with her for the reading of God's word this morning? Morning, Shelby. Morning. In the presence of God who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this, bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in an unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. You guys have a seat. All right, so if you're here a couple weeks ago, you know we already covered verses 13 and 14. I had her read those for context to lead into uh, the two verses that's going to be the main focus for us today, which would be verses 15 and 16. And the first thing that I want to pull out uh, from those verses for you is that God is exclusively sovereign. He's exclusively sovereign. And then if you're wondering, like, what does that word sovereign mean? It's, it's the simplest way to define sovereign is that God is in control always. Okay, now... 
Even this truth about God, as simple as that sounds, is difficult to grasp in its fullness. Right? Because even the Bible is, is notes that there are, there are other forces that act upon us. James chapter 1 tells us that God never tempts anyone to sin. Right? Psalm 51, this is this David's psalm of confession where he's, he's, he's going to the Lord to confess his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. And he writes that when he sinned, and if you know the story, you're like, man, he sinned against a whole lot of people. But what David writes is, I ultimately sinned against you, Lord. And what I ultimately did was I acted outside the will and wishes of God. But you see, even those two things, they, these don't erase God's sovereignty. It's, it's all in the puzzle. It, it was his sovereignty that gave us will and the capacity to make choices. It was his sovereignty that is currently holding back the fullness of his kingdom, right? So uh, it is his sovereignty that has not yet destroyed the kingdom of darkness, which the Bible tells us he will do so. And 2 Peter 3 says it's his sovereignty that's delaying all of that. And the reason why is that many more may come to repentance. And just so you know, when that day comes in full, it will be because he in his sovereignty determined that it was the perfect time. Because God is in control of all things. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. There's tremendous truth throughout that, but I want to point out the beginning and end. Everything was created by him and by him all things hold together. He is the creator of everything and the sustainer of everything. Go ahead and compare resumes. No one's matches God's. Verse 15 of 1 Timothy 6 tells us that he is the blessed, and here's the word, only sovereign. He's the only one. He's the king of kings, which means that every earthly king, every king who's ever had rule or dominion or power, God rules over every single one of them. He's the Lord of lords. Every person who's ever held authority over another human being, God has authority over them. There is no one, and let's be clear, no one with the power, authority, and rule above him or anywhere even remotely equal to him. There is no one that God answers to. There is no one that God deserves, no one who deserves an explanation from God as to why he's doing something. He does as he pleases at all times in every way. God's sovereignty means that he has unchecked authority, which is why we should be so thankful this morning that he is good and pure and holy. Now, people have a variety of reactions to this. Because unchecked sovereignty, it's hard for us to grasp. We don't trust it, right? Because whenever human beings have any, any sort of just drop of this, it, it corrupts us. So we try to box it in. We try to understand it. We try to put it in boxes that we can handle because it's too big for us to grasp. We want to debate this or simplify it or push back against it. But I can tell you what the best response to God's sovereignty is this morning. The single best, God's response, uh, single best response to God's sovereignty is, is to simply surrender to it and find peace in it. We can see this from Paul here. If you for a lot of Paul's writing the New Testament, if you read his letters, it seems pretty evident that he believed that Jesus' return was imminent, that it was coming like very, very soon, that the end of times was close. But when you get to these pastoral epistles, these letters to Timothy and Titus later in his life, right, he's, he's writing them towards the end of his life, and there's a peaceful surrender that's come over Paul. Right, verses 13 and 14, he's telling Timothy, you keep this charge, and the charge is what? That Timothy would fight the good fight. And he commands him, you keep this charge until Jesus returns. But how does he start verse 15? Paul writes, God will bring this about in what? In his own time. You see what he's doing? He's not guessing anymore. He's not concerning himself with figuring it out. It's the same encouragement that the apostles received from Jesus in Acts 1. 
When they're on, they're on the mountainside and Jesus is about to ascend in heaven and his disciples ask him, Lord, are you at this time, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? That's an end times question. God, are, Jesus, are you bringing the fullness of your kingdom here now? And Jesus' answer is like, that's not for you to worry about. That's not your job. Right? But your job is this. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's the same thing we see from Paul to Timothy here. God has his stuff covered. You fight the good fight. So resting and surrendering to the sovereignty of God brings tremendous peace. Listen, no matter what is happening in your life this morning, God has not abdicated his throne. No matter how it is you're being tempted to sin currently, there is no authority above him or what he has revealed. And there's peace in that. If we can just get out of our own way and don't fight that, the reality that God is in control brings tremendous peace. Secondly, we see here that God is exclusively holy. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, Who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. Now, I want us to look at those descriptors that were given here. The first thing we're told about God is that he alone is immortal. I mean, God is not subject to weakness. He's not subject to, to death or decay. He always was, he is, and always will be. He does not slumber or sleep. He does not tire. There's no beginning or end to his existence, right? He, he alone is this. He alone is immortal, and therefore he lives in what we're told here is unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. And this message is consistent throughout the scriptures. In Exodus 24, the glory of God appears on the mountaintop, the Israelites, and here's what we're told. That the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses from the cloud. The appearance of the Lord's glory to the Israelites, listen to this, was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul has experience with this. Do you remember on Damascus Road when Jesus appeared in the fullness of his glory to Paul? The light was so bright it blinded him. John chapter 1 verse 18. No one, just says, tells us straightly, no one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and at the Father's side, he has revealed him. Now here's the question. What, what's the reason for all this? Like why, why does this matter? Why is Paul pointing out? Why am I harping on it? Why is God uh, uh, unapproachable to mere human beings? Why is he invisible? Why did Jesus have to reveal the Father to us, to take on our form and do that? The reason why is because God is holy. It's because his holiness is pure and unadulterated. He has no sin in him at all. Every Every one of God's thoughts, every one of his actions, every one of his intentions, every drop of his character is perfectly pure. And what you need to know about holiness is that it cannot tolerate sin. If something is perfect and it's made imperfect, it can never be perfect again, which is why throughout the Bible you see the repeated message that sin absolutely must be atoned for. Sin must be paid for, justice must be served, because it's God's holiness, it's God's righteousness that demands this. Which is why as sinful human beings, we cannot approach, we cannot get to, we cannot work our way towards a holy and perfect God. This is the fatal flaw in every religion. And where religion is a system of practices and beliefs and efforts designed for me to get to God. Right? If I'm trying to get to God, I've failed before I even began. Which is why we're going to celebrate Christmas in such a big way next month. Because God came to us. That is the major game changer. Jesus came, took on our form. He lived the perfect life that we could not live. He absorbed God's wrath, holy wrath for sin on the cross, paying the price for any who believe in him, which is why it is only through faith in Jesus Christ that you could ever be accepted in the presence of God. 
It's only through faith in Jesus Christ that you can ever have any hope of heaven. It's only through faith in Jesus that you can be forgiven, made new, redeemed, and therefore be in God's presence. Because he is exclusively holy. Thirdly, God exclusively deserves our eternal surrender, praise, and service. What is Paul's response to such an amazing, exclusive God? He says at the end of verse 16, to him be honor and eternal power, amen. I've already seen from this writing how how Paul surrendered to God's holiness and sovereignty, and this should be our posture towards him forever. There's a question that's asked in Psalm 8 that I think we should all ask from time to time. Psalm chapter 8, the psalmist says, when I, when I observe your heavens, right, when I observe the, the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have set into place, so he sees everything that God has done, here's the question that comes from that. What is the human being that you remember him? What is the son of man that you even look after him? Do you get the questions being asked there? The psalmist is asking, who are we as mere humans that the eternal creator, all-powerful God should ever remember us, should ever look after us, should ever think of us? Who am I that the God of the universe should waste a single thought on me? He is the only blessed and sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. He alone is immortal. He lives in unapproachable light. Who am I that he would waste a thought on me? And yet, you know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us that he formed me. He took his time, actually, the imagery is that he knit me together in my mother's womb. Acts 17, he placed me. He pursued me. He went to an excruciating death on the cross on behalf of any who would believe in him. He rose from the grave to offer us eternal life. He drew us to himself. He's willing right now to save and redeem and restore and adopt and forgive and sustain me and any who would believe in him. Which begs the question, why would we be, why would we be resistant to that? Why would you ever push that God out of your life? It's only to your ruin and harm that you would do so. Paul's response here is to surrender and then to praise. To him be honor, he says. To praise and worship God is to give him the honor that he's due. We've seen throughout the letter, Paul just breaks out in praise. Not because he's teaching Timothy who God is, because Timothy doesn't know, because he's reminding Timothy of the honor God is due. And Paul is in what I would call a rhythm of praise. If we're going to remember that there's a God and I'm not him, then I need to form these rhythms of praise in my life, times in my life, times in my day where I stop and mentally, cognitively recognize his goodness and give him the honor and thanksgiving and worship that's due that. And I need to train my brain to look for opportunities for this. And this is one of the great ironies of our sinful nature. It's another reason why everybody who puts faith in themselves fails to realize how messed up we sinners really are. I want you to think of this great irony this morning. On one hand, we have God who is so great and so powerful that he shouldn't even waste a thought on us. And yet he's constantly watching over us, constantly working in our lives, will never leave us or forsake us. He's intimately involved in every detail of our lives. And our response to that is we have to train ourselves to remember him. We have, to, we have to actually take time to, to think and praise him or else we're going to knock out hours, days, weeks, and months more without ever considering, without ever praising, without ever serving him, without ever acknowledging him. It's another example of why any concept that we could ever earn our way to God or that we could put him in our debt is absolutely absurd. Yet in his amazing grace, he just keeps pursuing us. This is part of God's design for the gathering of his church for what you all are doing this morning. The church's weekly gatherings are are, are to be worship services, to give us opportunities to praise along with others. At the very least, once a week to have that rhythm in your life. 
And the hope is that it will spur you on to have that mindset elsewhere. But we need these. As sinful, forgetful human beings, we need these rhythms and we need these reminders. And just as a quick aside, for those of you who aren't aware yet, there's going to be a passage of time in early 2022 where we're going to be displaced. This sanctuary will not be usable. Right? This, this building will not be usable for about two to three months. Right? And so wherever we end up, we, God is opening some doors for us to still be able to gather. Wherever it is, right, it's going to be different. It's not going to be here. It's not going to be at this exact time. It's going to be different. And so I want to challenge you to make the commitment now that you're going to follow us there. That you will, wherever it is, you will gather with the church, that you will keep the rhythm of praise in your life, not only because God deserves it, but because you need it. Paul didn't just surrender in praise. He also served. I don't want you to forget the point of this passage. Right? That's why Shelby read for you verses 13 and 14. The point is to encourage Timothy to keep fighting the good fight, to keep pouring out his life as an offering to God. And we need to remind this too because there are so many lesser unworthy gods that we take our orders from. There are so many lesser unworthy things and causes that get our service and devotion. When no one has been better to us than the only blessed sovereign king of kings, no one deserves our service more. So Paul's encouragement to Timothy was the same as he gave the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 15, he writes, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable. And here's the phrase, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know what I'm really confident of this morning? I'm really confident that everyone in this room has something they're excelling at. And it's probably multiple things. Things that you're good at, things that you're devoting time to, things that you're devoting passion to, things that you're devoting energy to, things that are, that are carrying most of your thoughts, that are carrying most of your focus. I'm just wondering how high or low is the Lord's work on that list? Where does he slot in all that? Listen, almost every week we like to ask the question, how do we respond to this, right? We get, we get what Paul is teaching Timothy, we get what God's word is saying, so, so what is it calling us to do? This week it's really easy to see. It's all the same reasons that Paul wrote this to Timothy. But I want to unpack them again for you to close, right? And, and, and the question, one answer is just, how do we respond to God's sovereignty? And the first way to respond is, is just simply service. There's a phenomenon around, among Christians that I, I just don't understand. I, I've honestly, I've tried. I really have. I've tried to understand. I still don't. Where there's this level of commitment that stops just short of service. Right? Or is there these people that have trusted Christ for salvation? Right? They're even consistent enough to attend their church regularly, almost every single week, but that becomes like this invisible ceiling to their commitment. Right? Where there's very little evidence that they're seeking God throughout the week. There's very little evidence that they're in his word and trying to know him more. They're often very nice people, and they're willing to help others out if they see a need. But their daily life is like this ongoing rhythm of their tasks and their goals and their pursuits and their hobbies, none of which are bad, by the way. But there's no active conscious limiting of them to where they have given their entire life away to that which is decent or good, but have no room left for the service of the Lord or his kingdom, that which is best. They have no time. They have no room. They have no interest in serving Christ's kingdom directly. They have no room for helping their church accomplish its mission. They have no room for assisting or supporting or praying for or checking in on missionaries. They have no time for praying for non-believers in their life or actively looking for ways to share their faith. There's really no identifiable way that they are seeking to take ground from the kingdom of darkness and take ground for the kingdom of God. They, they can't identify it. And I, I got to be honest with you. 
the only blessed and sovereign king of kings and lord of lords who lives in unapproachable light deserves a whole lot more than that. And if I, if I asked you right now, how can you actively identify where you're serving the Lord in your day-to-day life and you struggle to have an answer for that question? That's a problem. That's a problem. And if you want to take a step out of the problem into a solution day and you need guidance on where to start, you say, I don't even know where to start. Come see us. This is why we exist. We're here to help you pursue Jesus more. We will gladly engage in that conversation with you. At the very least, commit to the Lord today that you're willing to change that. The second response to the sovereignty of God needs to be surrender. Man, there are a lot of ways to respond to the reality of God. There are a lot of ways to respond to his sovereignty. But surrender is the only way that brings life and peace and freedom. I can think of a few reasons that we would try to resist surrendering to his sovereignty. But I want to encourage you today to identify what yours is and then get over him and let them go. And uh, there was one year, one year in college that I worked at uh, Lieber State Recreation Area over there in Owen County. And it was, to this day, the most fun job I've ever had. Right? I loved being outdoors. I loved uh, working in the park. I, lo- I, always, I had really good friends that I worked with. There wasn't a day that I was driving to work that I wasn't excited to go. But even in that, there were tasks that we were given every morning. And there were a few tasks that I really liked. Right? Number, my favorite one was when I was told to clean the pool. Because right, Lieber has this giant pool, and, and what I would do is I would go out in the high dive, sit on the edge of it, dangle my feet over, and just drive this remote robot around the bottom of the pool and clean it. And it takes like two and a half hours, and it's totally quiet, and the sunrise is coming up, and you see some deer running by, and like, if you can't be at peace there, then you have no hope in life, right? I also loved mowing and trimming. I just, I just really liked those. But every now and then, I'd be told to clean the fish cleaning station. This is a task I did not like. Right, where you take all the guts from the, that people have cleaned out from the fish for the last week and you load them in the back of a truck and you drive it out to this really deep, dark corner of the woods and dump it where all the other guts are and the smell is so putrid that you almost can't eat for a week, right? There's another one. Whenever you got the job of digging out fire pits, there's like 219 campsites at Leaper, and so every Monday morning you got to go through with a shovel and dig out every single fire pit to make sure there aren't ash buildup and it's mind-numbing and it takes forever and there's nothing enjoyable about it. Right? But every morning, we would start with a huddle at the maintenance shed, and we would get our assignments. And some days, I would get the tasks I like. They'd say, Brett, you're on pool cleaning day. Yes, right? You know, and others, I'd get the fish cleaning station. But you know what I did? I did the task I was assigned. And the reason why is because I wasn't the authority. I couldn't change what was assigned to me. I couldn't do anything about it. I just had to do it. And we can encounter God's sovereignty and authority in similar ways. Where there are things that he tells us, ways that he works, prayers that he answers. And it's like we're getting asked to clean the pool. It's, it's, it's just what we wanted to hear. It sound, sounds great. Like, like how he forgives us of our sin or how he answered a prayer the exact way we were praying for. Our blessing comes our way. We get, we get over an illness, get a promotion. And we are eager and happy in those moments to surrender to the sovereignty of God and praise him. But then there are times when it's the opposite, isn't it? When we don't get answers we like. Or we come across the command in his holy word that we'd rather not obey. Or we feel like he's asking us to do something that we'd rather not do. Or there's an illness that isn't recovered from. His sexual ethics and standards don't match our life decisions or what society tells us. We don't want to forgive others the way he's forgiven us because they hurt us and they need to pay. We don't want to sacrifice the hold that idol has on us. And it feels like we're being asked to clean up the fish cleaning station. And this is what we have to remember in those times. 
we have not traded roles. He is still God, and we are still not him. He is not sovereign only, like, only when I like what is happening or what is said. He is sovereign at all times and in every way. And part of discipleship, part of growing in the Lord, is surrendering and trusting in his goodness, especially when you'd rather not. It's part of the deal. There are dozens of ways we resist surrender. Another one is, is every now and then when life brings something major our way and, and suffering and worry and trial, something that's just bigger than us, just, just flatly. When life brings something that's outside of our control, it's outside of our capabilities, it is quite simply beyond us in every single way. And instead of seeing that for what it is, instead of responding in kind, often in our grief and our hurt, our, our pain and confusion, what we do instead is we latch on to anything that we could possibly control. And our lives become consumed with that pursuit, that if I could just control the situation this way, if I could just influence it this way, then I would have more peace. And it's a lie from the enemy every time because it never results in peace. What always happens is you keep running into walls because this thing is what it has been from the start. It's just bigger than you. It's beyond you. And in our flurry, in our pain to control what we can, what often results is more heartache, more disappointment, more stress, more bitterness, more division, and less peace. And what is best is a posture of total surrender. Where we say, God, this situation did not shock you. It did not surprise you. And in your sovereignty, you either did this or allowed this, and you didn't consult me ahead of time or ask me permission. And so I'm just going to surrender to your authority. I'm gonna trust that you know exactly what you're doing and that you will bring good of this and I may not be able to see how you're gonna do that right now and I may not ever be able to see it with my limited eyes but I'm trusting you and surrendering to your authority. Have your way. In every example, in every way, surrender is the only right response to the sovereignty of God. It's the only way that brings peace. And lastly, we serve, we surrender, and then we praise. We don't just praise because he deserves it, though he does. We don't just praise because he's worthy, though he is. We don't praise him because no one's been better to us than God, though that's true. We also praise because we need the rhythm and reminder of praise, because it brings us to a place where surrender is easier. Because it reminds us of how good the God is that we are to serve. Because the two most important truths that I must never, ever forget is there is a God and I'm not him. And so we're going to end this service with an opportunity for you to do this once more. And all I'm going to invite you this morning is simply this. Don't pass on it. Don't skip it. Don't miss it. Take advantage of it. It is for his honor, but it's for your good. So to the only king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory and power forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that in your word we see example of example, Paul never, never getting over the wisdom of just reminding Timothy who God is. We see example of example, Paul never getting over himself who you are. Of this, this, this checking, this rhythm, this reminder that there is a God and I am not him is among the most needed reminders I have in my life. 
And so, Lord, there's a, there's a handful of people I want to pray for this morning. Anybody who's come in here this morning has not surrendered to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. They have, they have, to this point, tried to be their own God and their own solution, therefore forgetting that there is a God and they are not you. God, I pray that they would turn and trust wholly in you. They would trust wholly in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of eternal life. Lord, I also want to pray for any in this room who cannot answer the question, how is it that I'm actively serving the Lord? I pray that you this morning would just lead them by your spirit to a place of commitment where they would recognize they have one life, one chance to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords, one mission that's more important than all the rest that they could put their hands to. And God, if we've been content to sit on the sidelines, would you bring us to a place of response this morning? And then lastly, Lord, I want to pray for anybody who's struggling to surrender to your sovereignty. Anybody who's facing a situation, they, 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 they're having trouble just letting go and trusting you. They're trying to cling to every little thing of control they can. Lord, they feel the free, freedom and release of just trusting you and trusting your sovereignty and trusting your goodness and trusting your work in that situation. And then for those who are in the throes of, of a spiritual war within themselves, who are wrestling with commands in your word, who are wrestling with standards you have, who are wrestling with things that you have revealed that they would rather not obey, they would rather not submit to, they'd rather not surrender to, remind them this morning that you are God and they are not you. And that in their difficult, hard obedience, they will find the fullness of joy in life. And then Lord, as we turn our attention to closing this service just in praising you, God, I pray that you would inhabit the praise of your people, that you would be enthroned by the praises of your children, that you would move along us and that we would recognize just how holy and how good and how sovereign you are. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. You just stand, let's stand and sing. We have an opportunity to break out in praise as Paul would. And so let's take advantage of that opportunity this morning. Thank you.